Hello and welcome once again to Raging and Eating. This is Rossi, better known as Chef Rossi, owner and executive chef of the Raging Skillet in New York City. And I am talking to you once again next to the ocean. That's right, baby. I'm still here and I can't get enough of it. And the weather is kind of cold and kind of weird and kind of stormy. And I just don't care. I don't care because I can smell the ocean and I can hear the ocean. And it's pure glory to me. And so I'm sharing it with you. It also happens to be, as I am speaking to you right now, Hanukkah. That's right. It is Hanukkah baby right in the middle of Hanukkah. And I have so many things to say about Hanukkah, but you know I have a lot to complain about also. As I've told you, my mother had kind of a warped idea about Hanukkah. I think it was a sense of drama. Hear that crashing wave? Just ride it, baby. Ride it with me. But I digress. So I think it was that drama that my mother liked. So rather than have her three rotten children gather around the dinette set covered in coupons and Dixie Riddle cups for some fabulous gift every night, she loved to dole out crappy gift after crappy gift after terrible gift. And then just when we were completely despondent and highly depressed and ready to convert immediately to Christianity, where our friends were getting only one day of you know, celebrating, but much better presents, we would get a decent gift, you know? So I think she just loved the drama of it. You open the first gift and it's a bottle of shampoo. Ma, come on, I'm a kid, I'm eight years old. You're supposed to give us shampoo. You're not supposed to make a present out of it. And the second gift would be new underwear for crying out loud. You're my mother. You're supposed to give me underwear. And the third gift, maybe that would be a bottle of conditioner. Yeah, come on, give me a break. And the fourth gift, maybe that would be a pair of socks. Are you kidding me for crying out loud? And on and on and on it would go. Finally, we would get to the sixth or the seventh or the eighth gift. And it would be something more in line with what we wanted. In my sister's case, it would be a Barbie doll or a Dawn doll or the accessories for a Barbie doll or a Dawn doll. In my brother's case, it would be some kind of truck or, you know, boy toy that he would pretend to like, but in reality, he didn't really like. And I would ultimately wind up getting those things after he tossed them aside. But in my case, it would probably be the G.I. Joe action figure or a truck, a Tonka truck or a hot rod or a Corvette. Not a real Corvette, I wish, but I mean the toy version. Basically, my taste in toys was always something like a 16-year-old boy would like or maybe a 10-year-old boy. And so my mother would try to give me girl gifts. She, would, she gave me a baby doll once, and uh, ugh, I used it as a pillow for a while, and then I ultimately kind of handed it over to my sister. She gave me a Dawn doll, 
and I bartered my sister. She had something I wanted, some magazine or whatever. I wound up just giving them all to my sister. My sister was as girly as girly could be, and I was not the least bit interested. As a matter of fact, for the first, I'd say, six or seven, well, first seven years of my life, people would always come up to me, especially when I was four and five and six years old, when I had my hair cut short. People would always come up to me and say, you are so cute. Are you a girl or a boy? They just cut right up to me and, say, and ask that. These days, no one will come up to you, I don't think, and ask that, because your answer could be rather mystifying. These days, you might say, I'm both, or I'm a they, or I'm neither. You know, who knows what you might say. But when I was growing up, people were always coming up to me, or they'd come up to my mother instead. Oh, your child is so cute. Is it a boy or a girl? Well, they asked this question so many times in my childhood that something inside of me started to come up with an answer. Because when I used to say, you know, if they asked me directly, I would put my hands on my hips. I didn't want to say that I was a girl because it didn't feel entirely true. And I didn't want to say I was a boy because it certainly didn't feel true. I knew I was something else, maybe something in the middle. So I would put my hands on my hips and say, I'm a tomboy. And that seemed true. Still does. I'm a tomboy. I guess I still am, you know. And later on, many years later, when I realized I was gay and I started going to gay clubs, did you know that I ran into that same problem, although different, from women in gay bars? You would think these people would be so progressive and so smart, right? So I would walk in with my kind of tough tomboy clothes, you know, my ripped up jeans and my biker boots and my ripped up t-shirt and, you know, my like tough tomboy outfit. But... I would have on a gorgeous shade of lipstick, and I'd have long, curly blonde hair. And so I had kind of one foot in femi sort of thing and one foot in butchy sort of thing. Anyway, here are these progressive women. They would come right up to me. Now, these are adult women in a modern century, right? And they would say, oh, you're so cute. Are you a butch or a femme? And I'm like, why am I getting such a deja vu? Somehow it felt kind of sad to get those questions when I was an old adult because I'm like, doesn't anyone know anything? So, and I would answer them. I am both, not neither and both. And bug off with your stupid questions. But I digress because we're supposed to be talking about Hanukkah, right? I almost forgot. Anyway, and here comes a low-flying airplane that looks quite a bit like a World War II fighter jet. What symbolism is that? The last time I was talking to you, I was talking about my sister, and this was on what would have been her 60th birthday, and a helicopter came by. So now I'm talking to you about Hanukkah growing up, and a vintage airplane flies by. I don't know what that means, but somehow I don't think these things are a coincidence. Anyway, it is Hanukkah. And I am a tomboy, and I'm proud of it. So there you have it. Embrace whoever the hell you are, and if people want to know, they can just bug off. It's none of their beeswax. So as I got older, I just felt Hanukkah should be a little more merciful. You know, I love to light the candles every night. I always light them on this menorah 
that my mother gave me. And many times people have actually purchased expensive, beautiful menorahs for me or suggested I get a better menorah. But I love the menorah that my mother gave me, which was the cheapest possible rinky-dink menorah that she got for free for opening a Christmas Club account. My mother would go into the bank, open a Christmas Club account, and get the present that they would give her. Just for one dollar, she would open the account. And then the day after Christmas, she would take the dollar back out and keep the present. So I have two menorahs from when my mother did that, and I love them both. One of them I, I traveled with, and it got broken, which was a little bit sad. But um, it did get welded back together, so it has some battle scars. And I love it all the more. I love my mother's menorahs. And I mean, I, I've had so many people think there's something pathetic about my lighting these rinky-dink, you know, throwaway menorahs, and they don't understand the amount of love I have for them. Anyway, so I still have my mother's menorah, but right now, because I no longer am willing to travel with my mother's menorah because of fear of something happening to it, I wound up getting one of those free menorahs that the Lubavitch Hasidics give you. It was always a thing in Union Square in New York. The Hasids would come by in this sort of an ice cream truck that they called the mitzvah tank. And on the Sabbath, they would try to give Sabbath candles to women they thought were Jewish. Hanukkah, they'd come around and give you these free, cheapo little menorahs that would come with candles. And I would always say yes, you know. They'd come out in the corner, and they would go up to people who were very Jewish-looking and say, are you Jewish? And they'd give them a menorah. They never would come up to me because they were always frightened of me. But I would always go up to them and go, I'm Jewish, where's my menorah? So... This time around, I was traveling. I was afraid to bring my mother's menorah with me. And I went to a Lubavitch, uh, what they call a Chabad house, kind of a community center in the area. And I said, where is my free menorah? And the woman said, well, we only give them to people who wouldn't be lighting the candles if we didn't give them the, the menorah. And I said, well, if you don't give me the menorah, how am I going to light the candles? And how Jewish is that? Come on. And she didn't want to give me the menorah. And I said, fine, I'll make a donation. So I gave her $6. And she slipped it in her pocket and handed me the menorah, on which was written, this is a gift from the Lubavitch headquarters, not for sale. So I think she should not get a good present on Hanukkah. She kind of held me up for a little bit of a donation. But, but she was, you know nice enough and I got my menorah and six bucks is not a bad price because it also came with a whole box of candles and I got to light my menorah every night but I digress par usual so there you have it anyway like I said I tend to make Hanukkah a little more merciful than my mother did and only give out good presents and what I do now actually with my girlfriend in particular is rather than doling out presents on every night for the eight nights. I take her out for dinner or, you know, we've gone and gotten massages, you know, just more adult things. I would much rather have a foot massage for a half hour or an hour than a G.I. Joe action figure, for sure. Then again, I'm a chef. I'm on my feet for 12 to 15 hours, you know. Give me the foot massage. So 
This Hanukkah, I've been lighting my free Lubavitch menorah, and I see the irony in the fact that I got a free menorah from the Lubavitchers because I've been writing quite a lot about my time when I actually lived with the Lubavitchers. That's a crazy story. Now, people who know me or who have read my first book, The Raging Skillet, or who will be reading my second memoir coming out in spring of 2024, keep your ears open, tentatively titled Queen of the Jews. I kid you not. You got to get ready for that. Well, you know, or who've known me for more than two weeks, they know that I have the weirdest how I came to New York story of anyone you've ever met in your life. So I was this wild, punk rock, crazy kind of kid, a little bit of a renegade, and I lived in this uptight town in New Jersey where even if you just wore a black t-shirt and a pair of jeans, they thought you were a rebel. But if you wore a leather jacket and put pink streaks in your hair, forget it. If you listen to punk rock, forget it, you know. So I had a good friend of mine, Madame Laverne, who turned me on to punk rock, and we're still friends today. And my beautiful friend Susie Starlight was there for me. I had some great friends in that era. But my parents were old generational kind of Jews. Like they seemed like they would have been much better off in a previous century. And they wanted me to be the kind of daughter that just didn't exist in the 70s. They wanted a very proper Jewish girl. I shouldn't say that. It did exist in the 70s. But not, you know, in my town. Maybe if we relocated to Muncie, New Jersey, or some other sort of uber-religious area. But it wasn't who I was. You know, they wanted me to button up my top button and only hang out with Jewish people, and it was just really repressive. Between that and the uptight town, forget it. So... I wound up running away from home right after I graduated from high school because I wanted my high school diploma. And I had saved up $3,000 from some crazy jobs. One of my summer jobs was being the, uh, I guess, sort of like a carnival barker. I I was in an amusement pier in Long Branch, New Jersey, running the cigarette wheel. That was the cushiest job on the Long Branch amusement pier. And you would put a quarter down place your bed, and if you won, you'd get a whole carton of cigarettes. So naturally, I would have all my friends come by and let them put their quarter down and make sure that they won, and off they'd go with a carton of cigarettes. So I was very, very popular that summer. But I also managed to save $3,000, and with that, I ran away from home. I do admit that I wiped out my mother's supply of TV dinners before I left, so I moved into a cheapo, cheapo, scary, low-rent, skanky motel in Long Branch, New Jersey. I mean, there were hookers turning tricks from rooms in the hotel. Truck drivers would be in the parking lot. Drug dealers congregated there, gang members. I mean, everything. And there I was, 16 years old. For 70 bucks a week, I had my new life in skanky-ass weirdo motel in Long Branch, New Jersey. And everything was great until I had a party. And I threw this huge party and invited all my high school friends over. And the front desk guy at the motel, he he wasn't the least bit bothered with the drug dealers or the hookers or the gang members. But teenagers really freaked him out. I guess he was afraid their parents would come and get him or something. So he called the police 
and the police called my parents. And that was the end of my big runaway um, expedition. It had been going pretty great. I was on the lam for about three months having a great time. So my parents got this brilliant idea to ship me off to this Hasidic rabbi in Crown Heights, Brooklyn, who specialized in taking in wayward Jewish girls. And that was how I came to New York. I definitely win the weirdest how I came to New York story. Do you hear the waves crashing just then? I think that's my mother. Stop talking about me. I'm tired of hearing you tell this story. She's crashing in. Anyway, so I lived with the Hasids for two years because the deal was I had to live with them till I turned 18 and then I could do whatever I wanted. And there were some very hysterical and funny and loving and wonderful experiences there and some really horrifying ones. My parents had neglected to notice that Crown Heights, Brooklyn in 1981 was one of the most dangerous neighborhoods in New York City. And that's where they shipped off their little girl to, their little tomboy to. But I digress because it could take me about five hours to finish telling you about this whole story. But let's just say it is rather amusing when I get the free candles or the menorah from the Lubavitchers. And sometimes I like to really, you know, stump them a little bit because they don't even really think I'm Jewish and they think I'm weird, some rocker chick tomboy, they're a little afraid of me. So I'll say, after I get my candles or my menorah, I'll say, Zeigesund, which is Yiddish for, I guess it's like, have a great day or good day or be healthy or something. I don't know the exact tra- translation, but something along those lines. And they're like, you speak Yiddish. Oh my God. It just sort of gives me a pleasure. One of my mother's visits when I lived with the Hasis in Crown Heights, we went into a grocery store together. And because my mother was wearing loose slacks and a sort of a moo-moo over it, but she certainly didn't look Hasidic. Her head wasn't covered and her arms were exposed. Um, We went in together to buy some groceries, and the um, vendor, the one, the woman who was the uh, running the cashier, probably owned the store, kept waiting on people in front of my mother, making my mother wait. And she said to the other person in the store, "Let the shiksa wait." In Yiddish, I'm thinking, assuming that my mother wouldn't know what she meant, and I certainly didn't know what she meant and some derogatory things about my mother not being Jewish. But my mother spoke fluent Yiddish. I grew up with her always speaking Yiddish around the house, but she would never teach me the Yiddish because she wanted to speak badly about me to all the relatives she liked to on the phone talk Yiddish with. So anyway, my mother finally got up to her on the line, little grocery line, and put all of her many millions of things she was gonna buy on the, on the conveyor belts, and the woman rang them all up, and you know, it was a big job, and it was like a hundred different things. And after the woman rang everything up and did all that work, my mother took her purse, didn't pay for anything, and said in Yiddish, in Yiddish, the shiksa is tired of waiting, don't judge a book by its cover. And off we went, and the woman was astonished and horrified and deservingly so, don't judge a book by its cover. But 
also, quite honestly, who cares what religion someone is? Is there, If they're coming in to give you business and buy a hundred things, why on earth would it matter whether they're black or white or gay or straight or Jewish or Christian or anything? But it mattered to that woman. But did she learn her lesson from it? Probably not. But I do love that story, and so I'm sharing it with you. And that has nothing to do with Hanukkah. Anyway, I remember when we would light the candles growing up, we would always sing this Hanukkah song. And I used to know the words to it when I was a kid. And it, somehow it didn't really stay, but it was, it was like, Oi Hanukkah, Hanukkah, Yom Tav Hashem, Alistika, Freilika, Nito, Azain, or Ali, Nefen, Dreidel, Spears, Mir, Zida, Kesalatkes, Es, Unasher, Geschwindes, and Kinder, and I don't remember anymore. La 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 la. Anyway, there was one one uh, sentence that sounded a lot like fort, F A R T. It was like a forty niece and a good forty niece, and and we just that was our favorite moment. We would go forty, forty niece and forty niece, and and so that was our highlight. Anything that reminded us of farting just made us very very happy on Hanukkah. So I realize I've gone all over the place. I'm not a boy or a girl. I'm a tomboy. I'm not a butch or a femme. I'm an everything. And it doesn't matter whether you're gay or straight or Christian or Jewish or black or white. No one should make you wait at a checkout line and stupid for them if they do. And don't give your kids crappy presents and then at once in a blue moon give them a good one. Just give them good ones or, you know, get over yourself. But there you have it. I suppose I should give you a recipe for something or another since this show is supposed to be about food, right? So since it's Hanukkah, we're going to talk about latkes. Latkes for me are often not an easy thing because I'm a gluten-free babe. But there's no reason for latkes not to be gluten-free. You know about my fabulous vegan sweet potato latkes already. I've given you that recipe already. Grated sweet potato mixed with potato starch, salt, and pepper, and that's it. And it works, and it's fabulous. But what about a regular latke recipe? So I think it seems that russet potatoes are kind of the best for potato latkes. Just sort of better. They're not as wet as other potatoes. But you could probably do this with any kind of potato. But I'm going to stick with russet. So you peel them and you grate them. And I don't grate by hand because I have a life. I throw them in my food processor with the grating attachment. And then I also would throw in some onions. So let's say if you have five potatoes, throw in one onion and let them all be grated together. Let them all mix up together. And then you put it in a dish towel and you wring it and wring it and wring it because you don't want it to be wet or you'll have mushy, gushy latkes. And let that wring out and get all the moisture out. And when all the moisture's out, you dump it in a bowl. And then if you had like five or six potatoes and one onion, I guess you could mix up about three eggs, toss that in, and you could take about a coffee cup of gluten-free flour or potato starch, more potato on your potato, why not? Or rice flour, those are all gluten-free. And you mix that up and mix that up, and salt and pepper and mix it all up. And you want it to feel like a, a little, little bit wet, but mostly not, you don't want to see moisture dripping out of it, you know what I mean? Because then you're going to you want it to be wet enough to make a pancake, but you don't want to see like puddles of moisture coming out of it. So if you see that, just throw in a little more gluten-free flour. And then when you're going to fry it, you get a quarter inch of vegetable oil, super hot. I, I cook it on medium hot heat. 
and you drop it by spoonful. You fry it till it's nice and brown and crispy on both sides. And it's a beautiful thing. Now, here's the more beautiful thing. And that is that you could make this and put it in the freezer. So you can make this two weeks before Hanukkah and put it in the freezer and then take it out a day for day before Hanukkah or a day of Hanukkah and heat it up to order. But, of course, it's better if you don't, but you can. You know, life is short, so you got to do what you got to do. And I love to serve this with applesauce. I love to make homemade applesauce with red bliss apples that I don't peel, and I just kind of cut them up, you know, sort of coarse, you know, rough kind of dice. It doesn't matter because we're going to, you'll see what we're going to do. You could cut it up into like little bite-sized pieces. And I'll leave it in lemon water. And then I just cook it in a dry pan. And when the peel sort of turns purple, I sprinkle in ground cinnamon. And then I take that apple and I put it in the food processor and pulse it a few times. But I leave it kind of chunky. With the, and you see the bits of the apple peel. It's delicious. Then I take some other apples that I do the same thing to. But those I puree the hell out of. So it really is like a wet sauce, and I mix the two together. So you have a little bit of the wet and a lot of the chunky. You know what I mean? And that I taught, I serve my latkes with that gorgeous homemade applesauce, and it's a beautiful thing. Some people like their applesauce sweeter. If you're one of those people, you can add a pinch of brown sugar or a pinch of regular sugar, but I'm not one of those people. I like it just like this, and I like my latkes nice and savory with the onion and the salt and pepper. It's a gorgeous thing. I've done all kinds of crazy things with latkes. I had a wedding for a Jewish bride and a Jamaican groom, and we made jerk chicken, and then we shredded it. Shredded is kind of a sexy word, right? And we served it on top of the latkes. So it was like a Jewish Jamaican latka. And I had a wedding for, I guess it was a Jewish groom and a Chinese bride, or it might have been a Chinese groom and a Jewish bride, I forget. But same idea, beautiful latkes, but with shredded, there we are again, shredded. Same thing as pulled, pulled barbecue chicken, shredded, whatever. Peking duck. And if you don't feel like cooking Peking duck with a kind of a long and tedious job, just go to a Chinese restaurant and get a Peking duck. Ooh, people are laughing outside, giggling away. You hear them? You get the Peking duck and then you shred it and you serve it on top of a latka and then you've got a Chinese Jewish latka and that's a really sexy and exciting thing if I do say so myself I don't think I would also put applesauce on the Peking duck latka and I don't think I would do applesauce on the jerk chicken latka I mean they're both good as they are but it could be a little dry but the jerk chicken latka might love an apple chutney cook some onion and ginger and apple and curry. That could be a beautiful chutney for the jerk chicken latke. I'm saying this, but I haven't made it yet, so maybe I'll have to go and experiment. And the Peking duck latke might like a little bit of a hoisin sauce. That could be interesting. I haven't done that yet. I did it without the hoisin. So don't run out and do it. You know, test it out first, but I think that could be pretty awesome. Or a plum sauce could be awesome, or a plum ginger sauce could be awesome. Mmm, all of this is getting me hungry. But it's Hanukkah, so it's all about the oil. So you gotta fry something. Fry some empanadas, fry some donuts, fry some latkes, fry some chicken, 
fry something. It's all about the oil, because the miracle is the one-day oil lasted for eight days, you know? So that's the big deal of Hanukkah. Anyway, this is Rossi, better known as Chef Rossi, for raging and eating. And as always, food is love, and so are you. Now go out and get greasy and fry something and share some love all around. Have a fantastic day.